everyone, it's George Gross, and welcome back to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. I have a really awesome guest today, Brody Cafele. He's an amazing leader. He's written several books, and we're going to talk about one today uh, about being an assistant principal. But I just wanted to say hi to you before um, we get into the podcast. I'm about to take a little break because we are welcoming a daughter into the family. And so I want to spend some time at home. And this will be the last episode for a little while, but I will be back with new episodes soon. So thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoy the episode. Take care. Hey everyone, it's George Kuros with another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast, and I am really pumped to have uh, Baruti Kafele. and uh, I, I practiced the name several times uh, before to make sure I got it right. The, the last little while, I actually um, been reading his new book on the assistant principal, and there's something really dear uh, to my heart with that with that actual job or with that position, and I think it's, it's really, really powerful, and his book is amazing. I feel... I was telling Brody before we got on to the call that I felt my former principal and my superintendent when I was an assistant principal, they would have loved to give me that book because he is reaffirming so much of what they're sharing. And I could just hear them saying, I told you so. I told you so. So Brody, um, thank you for all of your work. Uh, I know that this assistant principal book is the newest one, but you have a, a ton of books on leadership and, and school culture. And so thank you so much for being here. And if you could just share a little bit about who you are and kind of your educational journey. I know people would love to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good to be here with you as well and your audience. Um, my journey started in 1988 as a classroom teacher in Brooklyn, New York City, the Crown Heights section. And I went in there really with, with one purpose. Um, I didn't go in there because I wanted to teach subject areas. I knew that that was part of the job. But I went in there to be a model of what it is to be a young man for the boys, but also secondarily for the girls. And I wanted to teach them on the model for them what it is to be a young man, because I knew that a lot of them were not necessarily seeing men in their lives. So that was my, my primary purpose for taking on that position in the first place. And now here we are 32 years later, and I'm still that guy. So I went on and, and taught in New York, then went to Jersey back with, which is my home state and got certified there and um, taught there was um, received a lot of awards, teacher of the year for the school, the district, the county, and state finalist for the state and of New Jersey. And then went on to become a principal and did that for 14 years. And, um, you know, we did a lot, of, a lot of good things over the years. And then around 2000, well, in 2011, I left to do the work I'm currently doing as a full-time consultant um, speaker in areas of education. So that's, you know, that's what it's been. I've, I've been writing books before I left my um, school. I've been writing ever since um, 91. And I've been consulting with parents starting in about 91 and then um, with staff about 2004. So while I was a principal on weekends, I would jet out of town, do some things on Saturdays, weekends, conferences, that type of thing, and then jet back in and pick up where I left off with the school. Yeah, and, and like in, in your book, when I was reading, there's, there's tons of stuff on uh, instructional leadership. There's, there's just some really interesting takes that you have on specifically the role of assistant principal. And it's something I, like I, I've said this before, like I love being assistant principal because I feel you have a lot of leverage to make things happen. But if you screw up, kind of everyone blames the principal. So I don't know if that's kind of some of your experience. But um, there is one quote from your book 
And I think it's super relevant, you know, not only to today, but, you know, and it's something people need to think about is, do I ensure that my staff utilize a variety of instructional strategies that take into account the different learning styles, ability levels, and social emotional needs of my students and student-centered, culturally responsive, culturally relevant, and equitable learning environments. And I think with all the civil unrest that's going on in the world and, you know, really necessary to make sure that we address these things not only in society but obviously in education because education is the heart of many communities can you talk a little bit about that statement and really kind of how it pertains to right now yeah you know that's um that's probably the most important statement in the presentations that i do particularly with the teacher but also with the leader in terms of the leader being the one to set instructional leader um there's so much there. I, I, I can literally do that slide because it's a slide in a presentation. I can, I can spend an entire day on that slide and not deviate from it because there's so much there. So if, if we could zero in on the, um, the cultural responsive as it relates to your question, a lot of times, oftentimes, if not, if, if not normally, there are students in a classroom who are very different from you, the teacher, culturally speaking historically speaking, racially speaking, ethnically speaking. Um, and we can even go on to gender, et cetera. There's just differences there. There's, there's diversity in that classroom. So now as a, as a teacher, it's one thing to say, I know you, but do I really know you? Do I, do I know you through that lens, culturally speaking, to the extent that I don't denigrate the fact that you, the fact that you're different from me, but I, I, can, I can embrace it. I can appreciate the difference and understand it. So as teacher, if, if I'm going to make those necessary connections in order to move the academic needle, because the connection, the cultural connection is, is the vehicle, one of the vehicles to move the academic needle. Well, therefore, I, I, I have to be, I have to make that cultural connection, that cultural responsiveness, a priority to my practice. And if it's not a priority, then I may come so close to kids, but I miss them and I keep missing. And as I miss algebraically, I'm forming an X and that X is representing everything that youngster could have known, could have learned if I had taken the time to study you, to learn you toward forging a stronger relationship or bond with you. Well, there's actually like I've I've been challenged on this several times because I agree with you 100%, and I, I feel that there's there is a, a quote by Dr. Rita Pearson in her TED talk, and I thought it was really powerful. Is that kids don't learn from people they don't like? Right. And I, I've been that quote. I've, I've shared that quote, and people challenge it, and I understand why. They'll say, "Well, you can learn from people you don't like," which is totally true. I'm I'm sure everyone listening, you, myself, have learned from people you don't like. But for me, you will go so much further if there is that connection, right? And the idea of what we do in class and knowing those kids, and as you say, you know, going beyond acceptance, but appreciating who they are, I think the disconnect for a lot of people is that that is an investment that you're putting in the kids so they can learn all the things that we have to teach them in the curriculum. And some people say, you know, that's not really important. We're here to do this. I'm like, well, you can effectively teach, you know, content if you don't actually, if the kid doesn't trust you, doesn't feel valued in your classroom. And so do you, do you see that disconnect ever, you know, like as, as you know, in leadership, how do you work with people to, to have an understanding of that and how important that is? Yeah. See, when, when, when Rita Pearson made the quote, I, I embrace it. Children, children can't learn or children won't learn from 
from someone they, that they don't like. I say, and, and, and then when folks challenge you, and, and of course I've been challenged on it too, but I, I welcome that debate. But, but the thing is, when, yeah, a youngster, a, a, an individual can learn from someone they don't like, but I'm, we're, we're talking about school-age children, right? And now I'm, I'm, I'm not so much questioning whether they can or not, but I'm questioning whether or not the will is there to learn from this individual I don't like. So, so I, I, maybe I could, but because I don't like you, in fact, maybe I despise you, I don't have the willingness to learn from you, which, which kind of makes me think about, there's, there's a book I wrote in, in a workshop that I do regularly, Closing the Attitude Gap. So here I said, we put all this, this emphasis, this is me as a teacher back in the 80s, and I'm saying we're putting all this emphasis on this achievement gap, but in the context of this question, I said, but there's this other gap. And I didn't call it a gap at the time, but I, but I concluded it was this word, attitude. And I said, if, if I can position myself in youngsters' life, in youngsters' space, to get youngster to see himself, herself, learning, and the prospects for his or her future differently, then there's a higher probability that we can transform the attitude and thereby the will regardless of whether or not I liked or disliked somebody. So now I started talking about it being, I, started, I put it in the category of the attitude gap. And I said the attitude gap is the gap between those students who have the will, and that's the key word, the will to achieve excellence and those who do not. So me as, as teacher, me as principal, the emphasis was always on the will and not the skill. I, that if, if, if we can change the will or increase the will, the skill will follow because the youngster is walking into the building every day brilliant. The youngster is walking into the building every day amazing, but there are real life circumstances that youngster is dealing with and it doesn't manifest or youngster may not even realize his or her brilliance. So, so my approach was let's, let's go in on the will of youngster to get youngster excited about self, about learning, about the prospects for his or her future. So, so now, so, so when we go back to that quote from Rita Pearson, and, 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 and we juxtapose that with an emphasis on, therefore, the will to get from point A to point B, the will to get from point A to where it is that you conceptualize you can be, that changes the whole approach. Because in the school where say achievement is, 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 is the priority, then we're pounding away at raising achievement by a few percentage points each year. Let's, let's, see, let's see if we can increase by five, let's um, 10%, whatever it is. And here I'm saying, no, let's get youngster fired up. Let's get youngster excited. Let's, let's get youngster energized about what we're doing by way of changing his or her will to get it done. So that's, that's kind of the focus I use with that when, when, when folks want to debate that issue. So as I'm listening to you and, you know, I'm obviously not as well versed in leadership and all the experience that you have, but I always feel like I have, you know, somewhat of an answer, whether it's right or wrong to a question. But there's one question that I, I actually, and I'm listening to you and I'm like, if anyone has this answer, <laughs> it's going to be you. And, I, and I, don't, I don't know how to answer it is that I get asked this, like, what if we have an educator who really, you know, is great with curriculum, but just doesn't have the relationship relationship piece, you know, and like, can you teach that? Like, what do you do in that situation? And I know there's the easy answer to say like, Hey, like eventually if I can't get 
people to like kids, you know, then I got to figure out a different path for them. But do you have an answer to that question? Because it's like, yeah, see, I, I can't like, like, you know, people say to me, they say, man, you're very inspiring, right? I hear that probably every day of my life. Um, you're, you're very inspiring. Uh, you have a way of 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 of, of conveying information that, that that inspires me to want to get back into the school or back into the classroom. I can't teach that, but here's what I can teach: I can teach people skills. See, so that one that may be be conversant in curriculum, in fact, master of the curriculum, but but doesn't relate to children. I can, I can teach you that because, because you may not rela or, or relate to people because you may not know anything about it, right? Like, like think about, if I can use this illustration, think about the, uh, you go to your local auto dealership, right? And there's somebody in that dealership that's outperforming in terms of sales, everybody else, right? There, there's some top performer in there. So you go to the dealership, general manager, who, who's your top performer here? That, that, that one right there. Can I talk to him? If they can fit you in, they're busy doing what they do. So we go on and talk to them. Hey, salesperson, what makes you a top producer here? And here's what they don't, they won't say this. They don't say because they know cars. They don't say that because they know features. They don't say it because they know benefits. They say, I'm a top producer because I know people. Right. I, I, I know how to forge relationship with people. doesn't mean that this person's charismatic, energized, enthusiastic, bubbly. It, it, it just means that th this person said, I, I know how to forge relationship with people. So then you ask the question, well, how, how do you do that? And he says or she says, well, one of the ways is I get them talking about themselves. Right. So 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 here comes a teacher into the auto dealership. So, so we strike up a like, like casual conversation and within the conversation, so what do you do? Oh, I teach. Oh man, if I'm a salesperson, I'm going to seize on that. I'm going I'm to I'm go in on, in on it so heavy to get that person talking about their day in the classroom that we'll be test driving a car in no time, right? Because, because see, what, what's happening is I'm, I'm building trust. Right. I'm, 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 I'm building a bond, a relationship with you, showing you that I am interested in you and what you do. So now as, as, as I demonstrate, because I'm not talking, they're talking, I'm sitting back and I'm just asking the right questions. See, so as I ask the right questions and they and they're telling me, man, I do this in my classroom and I do that in my classroom. And we took the kids to this level and, and I'm able to use that to get into that car and do that test drive and to ultimately give them an offer sheet. So the point that I'm making is the reason that this person is out producing everybody else, because this person has people skills and understands how to forge relationship with different people based on who they are, right? Based on what their interests may be. So as a, so as a principal with a staff, I, I can't, I can't train you to be charismatic, right? But I can train you or teach you, to connect with the various personalities in the classroom, right? It's like I, I just did a, a did a presentation right before we went on, and we were we we were we were talking about the staff meeting, and in that school where the, where the leadership just doesn't understand, the staff meeting is comprised of just admin, a, a, an administrative agenda, 
right? So let's talk about the, the broken copier and let the staff grieve about that. Let's talk about the this and the that. The, 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 um, but that, that, that leader that understands people says, let's devote the staff meeting to just teaching and learning so, so uh, um, um, social, emotional learning and, and, and just things that relate to the children in the classroom. So a part of that discussion might be how we're relating to children. So we may spend 90 minutes just on how, how are we getting that done? So now turn the meeting over to the staff. They're sitting at their, in their clusters and they're engaged in that conversation. So we're building a culture within a, within a meeting in bigger picture, that macro within a school, that we're having this kind of dialogue, this kind of interaction, talking about how we're making these connections. So now staff members, not just hearing me, but, but teachers hearing from colleagues throughout the room on how to better connect with young people. And that's how we get it done. And I promise you, because I, I, I've, I've witnessed it, I promise you that teacher that does, that, that, that seems not to be able to connect with kids, but is proficient in curriculum, that teacher starts changing. If that teacher has that key word again, the will, gotta want it. Right. So, so, so if, I can, if I can instill a sense of will in the conversation, in the dialogue, that teacher's gonna change because that teacher's learning a skill that that teacher may not have had. Like, like, like we talk about young people coming to school and, and do, not, do not listen, right? And, and I'll say, but do you realize that they may not have been taught how to listen? We assume because they have two ears that they, they, that they can hear and listen. They can hear, but listening and hearing are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, teacher, just like we said about the people skills, teacher, you have to teach youngster how to listen. It's a skill. It's an art. It's a part of communication. Yeah, and I think that everyone listening that's in education when you know felt that comment about the photocopier broken in the staff meeting. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I remember, I remember, uh, like how many staff meetings were were like talking about whether kids should wear hats in school. I'm like, who cares? Like, is this really the? Is this really making a huge? And I felt like it was like Groundhog Day, just the same conversation over and over again. And, and I'm gonna nip that on the first day of school, and it's 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 it's, it's in my rearview mirror after that. Absolutely. And, and Bernie, one of the things that you said, and I really appreciate, and it's something that I've been really working on, is a lot of times when we think about moving people forward, we think about convincing them, right? We think about us speaking. But really, you know, the same strategy that we use for leadership is really need to listen, understand people and work backward from that point. It's the same as it would be for kids. And I think that's a skill, obviously, as you said, that you can be taught and something, to be honest with you, um, I'm learning because I would get in these conversations and I would constantly try to convince people of like, here's what, you know, here's what I think and here's reasons why you should agree with me as opposed to kind of understanding who they are, what they understand and, and kind of figuring out moving backward from that point. So it's no yeah. different, you know, for kids. So I appreciate that. Um, one of the, one of the quotes and I, I thought it was interesting and I, and I want your take on this there is actually one of the questions is that um, you shared in your book about being an assistant principal. And as I said, this is a, I think we don't give this position enough credit. I feel it's kind of like, you know, we talk a lot about principals, talk a lot about educators, but that there's that kind of middle um, ground that, that's missed. And the one question you asked is that, you know, are you a career assistant or principal or do you, are you aspiring principal? So kind of like, is there, is that, is that a space that we're developing is that we do have career assistant principals? Because I know later you talk about basically the principal, sh- like assistant principalship should be basically a training ground 
to yeah. to becoming a principal? Yeah. See what 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 I've learned over the years. I think that everybody that goes to grad school to become a principal, I think the intent is to become a principal. But I think that there's a smaller percentage that once they're in the the uh, assistant principalship, they conclude that this is as far as I want to go. I, I'm not a number one person because now they see up front through the AP lens versus seeing it from afar back in their teaching days through the teacher lens. And they think that this is something I can do. Now they, they really see it. And, they, and, and I think they conclude, in fact, I know they conclude, I, I, I'm not a number one. They, they, they know within their spirit, I'm not a number one. I'm a number two. I'm, I'm, I'm a great support, but I cannot take, take, take the responsibility of leading this school as the number one person. So therefore, you've got some assistant principals who are, and, and I would say this would be a, a minority, but um, who are career assistant principals. And, and I meet them all the time because every, every assistant principal that I meet, and I'm saying 100% of them, when I'm on the road, I say to them, because and, and when I say that, I'm talking about the ones who come and talk to me privately, right? I say, are you an aspiring principal? That's like the first thing out of my mouth. And typically they'll say yes, but, but quite a few will say to me, not at all. This, this, is, this is it for me. I'm going to retire in this capacity, if not, if not go to uh, central office. So therefore, you, you got these two different folks in terms of that assistant principal who's a career assistant principal first versus that one that's striving to be a principal. And I say to that one that wants to be a principal, unless, you know, like you, your mom and you got the young child, children at home or, 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 or whatever the circumstances are, and you don't, you don't feel you have the time to be a principal because the principalship is 24-7. Right. So uh, you, you drink, you sleep this stuff, you know, you, 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 the work is on your mind 24 seven. So that person that feels I, I just can't live that way right now. Fine. But that one that says they're aspiring, I say to them all the time, then you don't need to be in this position too long. Right. If, 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 if you know, a lot of times an assistant principal will come to me, how long you been assistant principal? Uh, 10 years. So my first question is why, why have you been in this position for 10 years? What more are you trying to learn? And, and if they say to me, it's not that I want to be in a position, but it's more so I can't get the job, then, then we'll have that conversation. Why can't you, right? Are, are you confining yourself to this one district, right? Have you, have, are you willing to go beyond this district and find another opportunity somewhere else? Are you willing to relocate? But if you went to college, grad school to be a, a principal and you kept that fire as an assistant principal, then you should be trying to get out of that position as soon as you can, because I don't care how many years, you could spend 20 years in assistant principal. Nothing about that role is going to fully prepare you for the principalship until you step in it, because it's just a different reality, right? You, your principal can expose you to all facets of the principalship. Through, um, through being an assistant principal. You can observe all facets of the principalship, but there's nothing like being a principal until you are wearing those shoes as a principal. It, it becomes a different reality. And when I, when I was assistant principal, I think, and you talked about this quite a bit, and I was lucky. So I was, day one, I was nervous, like, oh, how am I gonna do this? And then day two, I'm like, I wanna be a principal, <laughs> right? And my yeah. principal was, open to that. And he, he basically everything he, he was training me from, from that moment to become a principal one day because he knew that's something I wanted. He felt that I would do well in that position. But one of the things that you talk about is that I, like I was lucky to get, have that relationship. Right. And I was lucky. I was given opportunities to 
at the end of the day, it's, it's always on the principal is the accountable for the school. Right. But I was lucky to give in, to be given opportunities to lead uh, typically when the principal would be leading. So what happens when you are in that role as assistant principal and you're not lucky to have that role? And you talked about this in your book about when, you know, there's some disconnect between the assistant principal and principal and maybe even not only what do you do, but why does that even happen in the first place? Yeah. See, you know, I, <laughs> Being in the position I am, you know, when I made the um, the interview videos, it, it 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 positioned me in a way that I hadn't anticipated. I didn't I didn't have an ulterior motive when I made these assistant principal and principal job interview videos, but they went viral, and and literally hundreds upon hundreds of people have have reached out to say thank you. I got the job. So in a, so as a result, all these assistant principal questions have come my way. So now here you've got, um, consistent with your question, you've got this assistant principal who's, who's, who's not in that situation that you were in, but it's in a situation that I was in. And I say to them all the time, where, where all I did was discipline in, in, in inventory supplies, right, for teachers and bus duty and cafeteria. That was my entire day. So I say to them, I say, look, don't worry about it. Forge, continue to continue to keep a, a solid relationship with that person because at the end of the day, that person is going to be the one to write the recommendation. So, so keep a solid relationship. Know your lane. If if they've pushed, if they've put you in this particular lane, then walk in your lane. But develop the people skills to be able to have the conversation without being threatening to the principal that you see some areas where you can be an asset to the school. And, and, and ask if you can work in those areas as well without stepping on the toes of the principal. So, but that all goes back to the people skills. But I say, so, so do that. You know, never, never allow yourself to become so frustrated that now there's tension between the two of you. Because once that sets in, then it's probably never going to leave. And then you're stuck in that place. That person probably won't give you the recommendation that you need. So you got to use the people skills. And it, so, so, so now how am I going to learn the principalship? And here's, how, here's what I tell them every day. I say, you're still in that building watching that leader. So now you use that principle as an extension of your graduate school program, regardless of how long it's been that you graduated. Study his or her every move. Study every word they articulate. Study everything about their being as a principle and ask yourself, in this particular situation, how would I have done it? Would I have done it the same? Would I have said it the same? Would I have done it differently? Would I have tweaked it just slightly? What, who would I be? So in other words, study your principal like your principal is a textbook, like your principal is a graduate school course, and quiz yourself on the movement of your principal. That's what I did as a teacher. I had a principal that I, that I have tons of respect for um, to this day. She was my principal in the early 90s, and we're friends to this day. She's retired. And, but while I was teaching, knowing, because I knew I wanted to be a principal quickly like you. So I studied her. I studied everything about her. And, 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 and I could run off her flaws right now as if, it was, as if it was just today. But all the things, or I don't even want to call them flaws, just areas that I would have done things differently. I could, I could run them off. I could rattle them off because I was studying them to that extent. So I said, man, the, 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 way, the way she responded to that teacher in the staff meeting, for example. I would have done it so differently, right? The way, the, the way that she approached this youngster, I would have done it so differently. You know, the way she did this, the way she did that. 
And, and now as I began to make my transition, because also as an AP, although I was, I was confined to a very narrow lane, I was studying that principle. I was studying everything about him. And, and, and one of the things that always stands out for me, I was studying how he developed the master schedule. And I said, man, I can't live like this. You know, so I'm, I'm paying, and that's over the summer, so I'm just paying attention to it. So now I become principal. Matter of fact, let me just throw this one more in. When there was an incident in the school regarding students, I'm studying the way he's responding. Now, and of course, I respond to certain inc incidents as an assistant principal, but I had a bigger macro picture in my mind. I said to myself, if, if, if there was something egregious enough that it needed to be addressed on a larger scale, I said, if I was the principal, I would interrupt instruction and I would bring that entire school to the auditorium and I would talk about what happened. I wouldn't name people, but I but 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 through the through the through the grapevine, they'd know who the person was. So I wouldn't name anybody, but I would let them know it happened instead of sweeping it under the rug and pretending it didn't exist. It happened. I dealt with it. There were consequences. And now I implore you not to, not to even consider repeating the behavior. Now, by doing it that way, this is what I was conceptualizing as an AP. I said, I bet you if I, if, if, if I had the audacity to make whatever this is that happened public, as opposed to wanting to protect my reputation and sweeping it under the rug, I bet you if I, if I accentuated it and let the kids know how I felt about it and, 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 and how it violated who we are as a family, I said, I bet you it wouldn't repeat itself. So when I became principal, that became staple with the way I laid. But, but I conceptualized it because I was studying the principal and watching how he was dealing with it and seeing the same behaviors recur and recur and recur over and over because the school was not aware that it was being dealt with. See, so doing it the way I did it, 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 it alleviated a lot of those problems. Is that something everybody could do? Probably not. You, you, you got to look at who you are, you, you know, as, as, an, as an individual relative to your own leadership identity, right? And, and your own leadership philosophy and style that you, that you must develop over time. And then you can make a determination, well, who can I be? Or even a variation of what I just said that may work for me. But it's studying other people. When, when, when you don't have access to do the things that you want to do, then study what they're doing, and then you you store it for when you can use it later on. And the, that advice, Broody, I think is really powerful not only for assistant principals but really learners in any space, right? Educators, because the idea, like I, I actually just shared this, if I go to a bad professional learning day, and I'm like, well, that was terrible. Well, I actually can make something out of that. I can actually learn something from that process. So even if you're in a situation where you, you might think, the, like you gave a beautiful example, it's like, okay, that's something I'm never going to do. Like that, and that actually is a really powerful thing as opposed to, I think a lot of people, and I don't know what your experience seeing this is, is that a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to be principal because I don't want to... I don't want to do that stuff. 
I'm like, well, when you're principal, you have a lot of flexibility to do it in a totally different way. You don't have to replicate how your current principal is, right? There's certain things that, of course, we got to, you know, check boxes with our central office, but I think that's really crucial. Um, there, I, I just wanted to share a story with you, and I want to get your take on this, and I thought it was really interesting, and, it, 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 and I was telling Baruti, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, I felt that when we were, when I was reading his book that I could hear my first principal when I was assistant principal going, I told you so. And I just hear it over and over again. And I actually applied for an assistant principal position and I had no interest in doing it. It was a position that opened up and I'm like, ah, let's see what happens. And I thought it was good. Be, it was just going to be a good experience. So I actually walked into the office uh, where we were doing this interview and the interview was an hour, and I, I would say for about 55 minutes of that interview, I was fighting the, print, the person interviewing me. Like, we were, we were yelling at each other. Mm. And I was like, what is going on right now? This is horrible. And, and, and there's something you said that really kind of sparked this in me when I was thinking about this. He, I, I called my mentor, and I said, that was the worst interview I've ever had. I'm never I'm getting that job. And so he he actually called me a couple of days later and I thought it was like the nice, like, Hey, you didn't get the job. And he's like, Hey, we'd like to offer you the job. I'm like, really? This is insane to me. And he said, you're the first person who challenged me. He said, and that's what I want. I don't want to go out and do something wrong, but I want you to challenge me. And this is what I, what I thought about you. But when I, when we go out and make that decision, we're on the same team. Like you got to back me up when, when we go out, like, don't let me go out to that room knowing it is something wrong. And, like, I know not all principals think that way, but I just, I, I remember, like, you talking about that, how it's important that you are a team with your principal, right? Because you see a lot of times a teacher doesn't get the answer they like from one, and so they go to the other because they know they can sway, right? So can you talk a little bit about why that's so important? Yeah, that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have differences of opinion on, on, on issues, right? Mm-hmm. But that's, that's what behind closed doors. But once the staff knows that there's conflict, right, or, or, or differences um, in, in, in approach and opinion, et cetera, then staff can exploit that. And, 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 and they will exploit it, you know, such as what you said about the, the discipline, right? Well, I'll go to the other one. They'll, 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 mm-hmm. they'll take care of it. So it's important that that team is as solid as it can be. But what a beautiful thing when you have a principal <clears throat> who does not have an issue with being challenged. See, so I like like I've always had assistant principals who were a little bit younger than me or less experienced, obviously, than me. And but but I, but but they're intelligent people. So I don't mind you if, if you if you see me going in a certain direction and, and you think that there's a better direction I can go in. I have no problem whatsoever with you telling me. Right. It, with, with you advising me. I, you know, I, I kept um, and I don't I, I don't really I, I've never written about this, but I talk about it in these in these spaces that I kept an inner circle in all the schools I led, but the inner circle never knew they were on the part of the inner circle. They didn't know it existed, but there were certain individuals who were very comfortable with me, right? Um, Across racial ethnic groups. They just, just were very comfortable with me that they could speak their mind to me. So in my mind, you're on the team, right? Because you're, because, because you have demonstrated your loyalty over and over that you're with me. Right. So now that I saw that, if I made a decision or said something at a staff meeting or something in an assembly and, 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 and it, it forced them to question it within themselves, they were comfortable coming to me. So here's an example. 
we we had these we here because you're in Canada, right? Yep. All right. So here we we had this law, no, <clears throat> which I'm sure you're aware of, no child left behind. And so we we had these benchmarks each year. So I decided <clears throat> that I don't want to meet the benchmarks. I want to exceed them by 10, 10 percentage points. So if the benchmark was 65 percent in math, then I want to be at 75 and, and, and on. So I had posters all throughout the building. Literally everywhere you walk, it would have the ben- my, my benchmark that my staff agreed with. So one day I'm on the stage and I'm doing one of my rah-rah speeches as we're getting close to test date. And I'm saying, and at, at that time, the benchmark was 95 in language. The state was 85 in language arts, 75 in math. So I said 95 in language arts, 85 in math. So I'm doing this rah-rah speech. We're, we're going to hit this. We're going to do it. We're going to celebrate it, blah, blah, blah. And then it hit me on that stage in real time. And, and it took all those years. It said, Kefele, you just told, with that 95, you just told 5% of these kids that you can fail and we're going to celebrate regardless. And it hit me in real time. And I said, man, this is not the right speech. I ne- it never hit me all those previous years, even when the benchmarks were much lower. So that day, we had a staff meeting scheduled. And I said to my staff, I said, look, I told them what happened. I said, all those, those 95 posters all over this building, after this meeting, I'm going to spend the rest, I'm going to spend a good portion of this evening in this building. I'm ripping them all down. Because there were at least... I would say, because I had one in every classroom and I had them all over the building. So I, I would say there were at least 300 of these signs in the building. So I said, I'm ripping them all down. Then I'm going to print new ones and I'm going to post them in every one of your classrooms, where the old ones were, and, and all over the building, in the bathrooms, in the cafeteria, in the gym, stairwells, everywhere that say 100%. So then one of two, two folks in that inner circle who are still connected to me dearly on social media to this day. Um, Guy says to me, he said, Kefele, 100%. He said, I said, yeah. He said, but why 100? He said, aren't you setting us up for failure? I said, well, let me ask you something. So he's a math teacher. I said, are you telling me? Because I said, I know your ability. I know your skill set. I said, are you telling me that 100% of your students in grade 11, because that was the testing grade back in those days, cannot pass this test? Are you, are you telling me that? Tell me, talk to me. He said, no, I'm not. I said, okay. Then I asked the, the other person that was his colleague, are you? No, I'm not saying that. I said, so tell me this. Can 100%, can all your students pass this test? Yep. Okay. I'm going to use that for the rest of the school. I'm, so I go back to my staff. Who in, and, and, and I want you to understand that my staff was not intimidated by me. Right. My, my, we, we, we are family. I mean, there was probably somebody in there that felt uneasy, but for the most part, we're family. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk to me, staff. Can we not reach 100 percent? Talk to me. They, they, they sat in the room. No, we in the library. No, we got it. We got it. OK. We put all 100 percent signs back up. I bring students to the gym. Look, nobody can fail this test. We're going for 100. We go on and we hit the 100. Right. And then we reflect back on it later. See, I said to them, it's will. We, we had to elevate our thinking. We were celebrating kids losing because we met benchmarks. But 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 if, if we can open up our thinking and, and believe, you know, you talk about uh, efficacy now and, 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 and believe that all of them 
can achieve. I said, we, we can make this happen. You know, there's, there's a, there's, there's, there's this book title I have. It's, um, is my school a better school because I lead it. But then in the teacher 50, there's, there's an equivalent question that I wrote for the teacher. It says, are my students at an advantage because I am their mm-hmm. teacher, right? So here I'm saying to the leader, I'm saying to the teacher, is this youngster better off because of you? Does this does the, the, is does your presence in youngster's life alter his or her trajectory toward being that much more successful? So that's that's the conversation with with in terms of us raising to a hundred. So now we're ready to do it and got it done. That's amazing. That, yeah. That's absolutely incredible. And I think there's a couple things that I take away. First of all, when when I hired as assistant principal or as a principal, uh, and I try to do what you did, is I actually try to hire people that wouldn't agree with me on everything that, you know, we all had the same goal of what we wanted to do. But I didn't need me. I didn't need someone who thought like me. I need someone who actually saw my weak spots, who saw things I didn't see, who connected with staff, maybe in a way that I couldn't connect with, you know, some staff. But I think the idea of like, believing in every kid is the first step for them to be successful. Like if you don't think a kid's going to do it, you're probably not going to put much effort into them. And I think that's, you know, really powerful and it's incredible story kind of like how you set up your staff for success. And I think when people talk about there's, there's ego, like I'm sure you have ego, we have ego, but the, the ego for me is like, I want everyone to be successful. I don't necessarily need to be, the person creating that pathway, like to be the person that makes the decisions on that yeah. on my own. I'm, I'm so if I'm, if I, if I do things and I take feedback, but then we get our kids to that place, that that's all that, that will feed my ego forever. Right. And so that belief I think is really important. And um, as we kind of close up t- today, I, I kind of, and I've been asking everyone of this and um, we're in this time where there's, you know, just things going on around the world. Um, you know, we are dealing with, this is like a history book moment in time. Um, really obviously as we should be, you know, being anti-racist through all of the stuff that is happening in our world and, and really challenging some of these things. And so we're dealing with all these complexities in our world, let alone, let alone just the complexity on any other school day. Right. So as you're looking at what's happening and everything in the world, what's some of the best advice you can give to people? Yeah. Um, that's, and that's a common question in today's times. I, I've been talking a lot more about social justice education probably in, in, in this context, probably more than I have in my life. Um, and, and that's on Zoom presentations. But, you know, we, we, we've been talking about equity for the longest, but now this, this, this whole social justice component, component. And see, with me, the way, I, the way I approach equity, social justice is a byproduct of it, right? So now I'm saying to the teacher or the lead, to the educator that you, you're watching the news you, or, or you're looking in your community if you, if, you, if, you, if you live in one of those cities. You see what's going on. You see the anger across America. But here's the thing. Hey, teacher. Hey, leader. There are children that see that too. And there are children that are being impacted by it. And there are children who have been impacted by the reasons for the anger in the first place. When they come back into your classroom or when they come back onto your computer in a Zoom lesson, what are you going to do? 
Will you engage them in a discussion about why the anger, why the rioting, why the rebellions, why the violence, or will you try to circumvent it or pretend that it doesn't, it's not happening and try to get that math lesson in or try to get that language arts lesson in or that science lesson? Why not make that the math, science, language arts, and social studies lesson and talk about social justice in terms of when we talk about what is social justice, the, the examination and the exploration of what it is to be that student, right? His, his, his or her world beyond the classroom. So that we can so that we can better gauge how this is impacting that youngster, which includes how youngster may be approaching education in the first place. So you 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 may be aware in terms of you're just knowing my work that I do this assistant principal virtual academy on Saturday mornings. And and we're talking about the themes in that book. Um, but but I couldn't I, there was no way in the world that I could do that this past Saturday. Um, I woke up in the morning and I said, I, I can't, because I was scheduled to do instructional leadership. I said, I can't talk about instructional leadership. I, I have to talk about what's happening in the streets of America as it relates to the children that are, that, that, that are enrolled in their school and who they are as assistant principal, right? So not, not, not doing, you know, not being pundit on television and talking about what's happening in the streets, but being assistant principal and how does that relate to my work and, and my relationship with that youngster. So I put together these eight questions and we spent an hour on, on just those eight questions. And now there are these just a plethora of Twitter chat groups out here in the universe that, that, that grew out of this Saturday Academy. So they've been discussing this stuff already this week. And then there are these other Zoom groups that spawned out of this Saturday Academy. And they're going to be diving into it this week as well, because they'll dive into whatever I talked about that previous Saturday. So that's a beautiful thing because now it's got all these folks that under normal circumstances, I probably wouldn't even have access to them. And now because everybody's, there's a buzz out here, you got to watch Kefele's Assistant Principal Academy. It's free, right? So they're all on there. And now they're talking about things that they may not have been talking about in terms of the context of, of, of the questions. Let me just give you one, because I know time is short, but, but this one, it stands out for me. It was um, my sixth question. What type of PD, this is to an assistant principal, but it could be a principal as well. It could be a superintendent, it could be assistant mm -hmm. super, director, whatever. What type of PD do you provide staff toward developing a comfort and a confidence in engaging students in issues of social justice? Now, a lot of folks are saying to me, Oh my God, ouch. I, 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 I've never thought about that, right? But, but that's gotta be a part of the professional development, right? Because, because when we talk about issues of social justice, these are issues that impact people every day of their lives. So we can't avoid it. Youngster may not be having that conversation in school, I mean, at home on an intellectual level. It could be, it could be a lot of rage and anger about, about just issues that impact us. But in terms of coming into school and being able to intellectualize it and putting it in a historical context so, I, so that I understand the continuum from, from 400 years ago in terms of black students all the way up to 2020, then it gives me a better intellectual understanding of what it is that's happening that I see on my television every day. Yeah, like the, the reality of education that's always been this way is that if we have students who are totally focused on something else, you're not going to be able to teach them math, language, arts, any of this stuff. And so these conversations are really, really crucial. And, you know, I think 
as you were talking earlier, the, the importance of listening to our kids, that, we, that they feel valued in the conversations, what they're sharing. And I, I, I really appreciate all you sharing. Uh, Broody, is there any final thoughts that you have um, for the group? I feel, like I've, I feel like I've been in like a leadership masterclass with you for the last, it's been incredible. And I'm going to say this right now. Um, the, the, when I read your book, I feel like I'm, it's so conversational as well. That's why it was such an easy read for me because it, it was like you were talking to me the whole time. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me use my final thoughts to just piggyback on that. Um, I've written, uh, seven books for ASCD now, and four of them are these 50 books. And that's, that's kind of become my brand. And I got, I got a couple more up my sleeve as well. And, and, and I decided when I, when I became a, an author for them, I was self-published before, but I decided, I said, you know, I'm writing books for some of the busiest people in the world, educators, um, some of the most overwhelmed people in the world, educators. And I said, I don't, I don't want to write the, the, the scholarly intellectual research, uh, with, with research based book is, I mean, it's based on research, but that scholarly book where it's so difficult to read it that I got to keep going back, trying to decipher what's being said. I said, I want, so, so I was very deliberate in writing books that were heavy on these questions because, you know, I'm, I'm big on game film, looking, looking at one's game film relative to self-reflecting on my own practice. So looking at your films, I said, these 50 questions to enable you to look at yourself as it relates to the questions and then determining what adjustments I need to make in my practice, in my leadership, in my classroom. So that's what, and I'll just put it on the screen. That's what this is all about. It's, it's the 50 questions with heavy on questions, light on the commentary, because my commentary is not all that necessary. It's in there, but it's, but it's, but it's not overwhelming. It's, it's the questions, because I want the study groups to now look at the questions, examine the questions, and examine themselves, and then formulate, a, uh, formulate goals and strategy on how I will adjust me so that as I look at that question, I'm on point. So I make them readable. I call them, you know, I call them handbooks, you know, and... Um, and just make them readable so that, so that, you know, one of the highlights for me on social media is when someone will post one of these or any book I wrote and you got posted, uh, posted stickers just popping out all over the place. Right. I'm saying, man, they, they took that book seriously. And that's because <laughs> they're like all, all over the cover, sticking out the edges of the book. And, and you, you, and you could see them. And I'm like, yeah, they, that, that's why. And, and I'm saying to myself, that's why I wrote that book. Well, you should, you should actually see. So I, I bought it on Kindle because it's going to take forever to get to Canada. Yeah. And it's just all, it's all yellow. It's just all highlight on my, on my <laughs> thing. I was just like, and the, the thing, as you said, Rudy, and if you're, if you're applying for any leadership position, um, you know, you're working as assistant principal right now. And the other books, I think, if they're anything like this one, they're going to be absolutely incredible. I felt that you gave some answers, but you want people to think out their own situations, right? Because assistant principal at one school where you're the only one, or there's, as you said, there's like up to eight in some places, um, you know, every context is different. And I think this is one of the things that I want an assistant principal is that I don't have to give them the answers that I want them to be able to figure out those, the questions first and go through. So Rudy, please, anyone um, listening to this podcast, make sure you connect with Rudy. And like I said, um, 
it's been like a master class. Like I'm thinking, where were you in my first year? <laughs> the sister principal <laughs> started this podcast a long time ago. But Baruti, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I, I just so uh, inspired by your insight and all that you've done. I, I love watching your stuff. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. And you too. And I'm going to check out some more of them vids too now that I got to meet. <laughs> well, I hope, we, I hope we stay connected, okay? Yes, all right. sir. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Have, have a wonderful day.